can I do to be more confident? Well, that's a question that my guest gets asked regularly by her clients. And I suspect it's something you've either thought or said out loud. How can I be more confident? Why are those people so much more confident than me? What's the secret to being confident? <laughs> so let's pull it apart and do some forensics. In this episode, we'll talk about things like the self-deprecating trap. We'll talk about myths. We'll talk about growth and fixed mindset and the influence that has on confidence. We'll talk about the power of yet. We'll talk about triggers of confidence dips and the effect that our body has upon our brain and vice versa. And we will give you lots of lovely little small steps. I say we, I'm really handing over to my guest, the fabulous Faye Wallace. Faye is the host of a beautiful podcast called HR Coffee Time, very popular. And it's on all pod platforms, go and search it out. She's a career and executive coach and she specializes in helping HR people professionals have successful and fulfilling careers. She's the founder of Bright Sky Career Coaching and she is a fabulous all-round human being. This is Unsquashed. I'm your host, Trisha Lewis. Engage your detective mindset and let's get ready to solve the mystery of the squashed self. Well, having recently had the massive pleasure of being a guest on Faye's fantastic podcast, which I can tell you about in a minute, I now have Faye on my podcast. This is how life should work, everybody. Wonderfully collaborative and mutual and gorgeous. Um, it's an absolute delight to have you, Faye. Oh, thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here, Tricia. And I'm loving the fact we're having our, our podcast swap in the same week. I know. T just tell everybody what your podcast is called. Oh, of course. Thank you for asking me. So my podcast is called HR Coffee Time, and it's essentially, in a nutshell, a career advice podcast for HR and people professionals. Perfect. Uh, I mean, obviously, I want to plug it because um, I've just gone out live on the episode today that we're recording this. So of course, I want everybody to plug in if they're not already, which they should be. So Without more to do, we've got well, we've got a fascinating topic to talk about. You just have the, like there's this word confidence, which we all know, and you think, oh, confidence, yeah, that old thing. But oh my gosh, Faye will uncover some layers that I bet you've never uncovered before, and this will be so relevant because apart from anything else, it might, um, and we we definitely will by the end of this podcast, sort of do a bit of myth busting around the topic. Um, and so starting off, let's have a little story, Faye, about something which you can recognise as your squashing or unsquashing journey. Well, when I knew that you were going to ask me about this question and you said, Faye, we'll talk about unsquashing in a time that it's happened with you, I immediately could visualize myself back in my old office when I worked in my last HR role. So I'm currently, and have been for seven years now, a career and executive coach, but beforehand I had an HR career. And I remember I was part of an HR team and I was one of the more junior people there. 
and my boss and my more senior colleagues were all out for the day. It was just me holding down the fort and the managing director walked into the office and asked me a question. And I knew the answer. I can't even remember what the question is, but what I do really remember was what my response was like and then how he responded to me. So I said something very self-deprecating like, well, afraid you're just stuck with me because there's no one else here. Let's hope it's not a disaster. And he really told me off. He properly picked me up on it. And he said, Faye, when you speak like that, it makes me want to lamp you. <laughs> I know, I know, it was so funny. And I was really shocked at first that he said that, but I could see he was being nice. He wasn't being horrible. And he said, you have got to stop putting yourself down. Of course, you can handle everything without them there. I've got full confidence in you, Faye. You've got to stop making all these little jokes and being so self-deprecating all the time. Now, I don't think I really fully realised that I was being self-deprecating all the time, but that was such a lesson to me and I really did try to take it on board. It's something I probably always wrestle with. I caught myself doing it a few weeks ago, sort of putting myself down a little bit in front of a friend and she was quite shocked <laughs> and said, what what are you talking about? Why are you doing that? So clearly it's still a bit of a, a tiny bit of a habit that's still there, but hopefully I do it a lot less than I used to. I just love that story because so many people will be nodding and where's, oh my God, I do that. I do that. I do that all the time. Um, I, I've done it plenty of times. Oh my gosh. I, I mean, I use humour quite a lot, but humour's fine, but it can so easily tip over into the self-deprecating more than it needs to and I love the fact that you see that's great that you had that boss because another kind of boss might have said no no you're right I better wait for the others <laughs> oh my god that would have been the end of your self-confidence forever um so I bought the and self what you've also described is so much part of the topic that we're about to um unwrap and get forensic with which is confidence because how we give the messages to ourselves is part of it, isn't it? So where do we start with this? Because you, you, for a start, in the uh, service that you offer, which you, you can tell us a little bit about as we unwrap this, you will come across individuals who are fairly regularly saying that they're struggling with confidence. So give us give us a little overview of that. Okay, so as far as my services are concerned, I it won't be a shock given that my podcast is called HR Coffee Time. I mainly now work with HR and people professionals and the coaching that I do for them has sort of shifted slightly over the years. Initially, when I started off on my coaching journey, I was purely a career coach. And so that would be around helping people to get their next job a lot of the time or to potentially change career. But what I found as I carried on with my work is that more and more people started to actually ask me for help while they were in a role. So that's whether they had recently started or perhaps they'd been promoted or they might have even been somewhere for a really long time, but they just felt like they could do with some support. And so that's when my services started to shift slightly. And the one thing that I noticed coming up again and again and again for people at 
all different levels of seniority was this thing about confidence. So when I was sitting down, I have a group coaching program as well as coaching people on a one-to-one -one basis. When I was sitting down to think, right, what's going to be the most helpful program I could put together for everyone? I thought there's absolutely no way that I can't include confidence in here because it's coming up for about 98% of my clients. And I think what would probably surprise most people is how senior, uh, as in senior level within an organization, some of those clients can be. We've got this thing, I think, often where we walk around thinking everyone else has got everything together. Oh my goodness, if that person's running a company, they must be so supremely confident. And that wasn't the case at all. So, I, do you know what? I'm not sure if I've answered your question properly, no, Trisha. No, I've just gone no. off on a tangent. slightly <laughs> go off on tangents. We love those. Um, but, I mean, you just said 90%, 98% of your clients, that's pretty much all of them, are coming now this is this is an interesting um and 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 also your point about them being you know in senior roles and, and positions is really relevant because you you will know that that original imposter syndrome research was done amongst senior academics you know if anybody out there doesn't know it was done in the 70s by Clance and Eames and I've probably referenced it all over my website somewhere but it's it's the relevance to what you just said, I think really needs to ding bells in people's heads because you're right, people make these assumptions. And that's where we all start crumbling down because it's the whole comparisonitis thing and imposter syndrome thing, blah, de, blah, de, blah, de, blah. So um, your clients are coming up with this as being an issue. How much of this do you think, I mean, how do you tackle that in terms of, do they just think they're not confident? Is it a feeling that has no rationale behind it? Or is it a very obvious sort of, ah, oh, that's because you're not doing this or because you need to do this? I was given some really good advice about this very early on in my coaching journey. So when I was trying to decide whether to become a coach and whether, uh, again, this is about confidence. I was like, oh, can I do this? Am I going to be good enough? I had done some coaching internally in the company I worked at, but I thought I need to test out to see if I can do this with other people as well who don't know me. <laughs> so I volunteered to be a mentor for a scheme with Kingston University. They're my closest university. And they were running a mentoring scheme for students to help partly build their confidence and just help them with whatever they were struggling with. So I joined the scheme. And as part of that, you get to meet all of the other mentors who are taking part as well. And there was an absolutely lovely man who was one of the mentors. He had been a mentor for years. He'd been part of the scheme for as long as it had been running. And so when I met the person that I was mentoring and she said about not feeling confident, I just had a bit of a panic. I don't think she could see I was having a panic. I said, oh yes, yes, I'll think about that. You know, <laughs> went away thinking, oh no, what do I do? So I contacted this lovely man and said to him, I don't know if you remember me, we met at the mentoring event. I've had a session with my mentee and she's mentioned confidence. What on earth do I do? How can I possibly help? And he gave me probably the best advice that I have ever had, and I continue to share it all the time, which is, Faye, no one lacks confidence with everything. Find out what the specific issue is. And I thought, he's absolutely right. 
I'm writing it down. Hang on a sec. And everybody out there might be writing this down as well. So let's, let's do it again. No one lacks confidence with everything. Find out what the specific issue is. Yeah. <gasps> Love it. Love yeah. it. Absolutely. Because if you think about it, we are confident. You're confident at brushing your teeth. You're confident at making the dinner. You're eventually, after lots and lots of lessons and practice, confident at driving a car normally. Like, I can put my makeup on in the morning in five minutes. I'm confident doing that because I've been doing it for years. And when you start to look at it like that, it helps you realise, oh, yes, actually, it's not that I'm a completely unconfident person. There are things that I'm confident about. And so what is it exactly that I am lacking confidence in? And when you narrow that down, it's so much easier. Yes always narrowing that's why it's about like forensics and stuff and you know the five whys and all that kind of thing they're so useful to narrow down narrow down because people say uh if you if you applied that to public speaking people would say oh I've got a massive fear of public speaking mm. I mean that's just useless as I'm not what we mean to them I mean I don't mean it's useless that they've got a fear of public speaking it's very common and I totally understand and get it and all this but you can't work with that as your script. You know, I, I've got a massive fear. Of, so you'd start to say, why? <laughs> Just, why? And you kind of get it down. And it's it's fear of something in particular for a start. I suppose that that's interesting, isn't it? So one side of it is the sort of what's coming at you, the fear of what people, how people are responding to you might respond to you. That, that can mess with your confidence. And the other side of it is what you are, what you think you are capable of doing. So mm. does that make sense? Yeah, yeah it, it makes perfect sense. And I'd probably build on that to say it's how you're judging yourself as well. So you might think you're capable of doing something and then you do it and then you start berating yourself. That wasn't good enough. <laughs> I, I could have done that so much better. Oh my gosh, everyone's going to think I'm a complete failure or I'm no good at this. And, and then that can hugely affect your confidence. So I think that's really important as well. Oh, we do that. We so love to look at all our negatives. <laughs> I don't mean photograph negatives. That's a whole other thing. Oh, they were fun back in the day, but no, uh... <laughs> Sorry. Now I'm showing my age. Nobody thinks, what is she talking about? <laughs> Photo negatives. Yes, we instantly look at I, I had an I had a really interesting situation with a client recently, and they were describing a sort of imposter syndrome thing with um meetings that they had to attend, which had lots of sort of high up people, if you like, um in their particular department. Um and probably a lot of academics and PhDs and all the rest of it as well going on. Um, and this person had had years in the job they were doing and was incredibly capable, um, but was describing these other people as being very articulate. And mm -hmm. so we kind of did the forensics on that. And she could only see in her slightly looser, less structured, less big wordy, um, fancy wordy style she could only see the negatives in herself oh yeah, people will think I don't know what I'm talking about and she could only see the positives in this very structured um, big word stuff that the other people were doing so we kind of did this exercise where we looked at the negatives of their style yeah. the positives of her style because they it's the blend that you want you know so 
and it was a real yeah real light bulb moment but the reason I'm waffling is because of what you said berating yourself we mm. do that so flipping easily it's like embedded I think from our ancient survival wiring or something isn't it to just look for negatives look for danger look for something that's going wrong I think so and I think also one thing that has been hugely life-changing for me and has really helped me with confidence so much so that I'm forever talking about this and trying to spread the word and I think more and more and more people do know about it because it's become so widely known and that is mindset so you I'm sure Trisha that you've probably read the book mindset by Dr. Carol Dweck. Well, she's a doctor and a professor, so I'm never sure which title I should be using when I refer to her. <laughs> I just call her Carol, good friend of mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe that's what I should be saying. That would, that would hey, solve the hey, issue. We call each other nicknames most of the time. No, I, I don't know. Yes, Dr. Carol Dweck, professor. She's, she's fabulous. The book, um, remind listeners what it's called. I've got it here. I've got that's it here. That's it. Just called mine. I thought I'd probably end up talking about it. Go on, tell um, us more. This book, this book, I've got it on my shelf, you've got it on your shelf, but not everybody's got it on their shelf, eh? So just give us a, a quick overview of what the nuggets are in this book that mean you are constantly talking about it when it comes to confidence. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And when I say I'm constantly talking about it, I bought a copy for my brother, my sister, my neighbour, my client that I had at the time when I was reading it. Honestly, I feel like I should actually have shares in the, um, in the book, in the publishing company. So Carol Dweck, as we've established, is a doctor and professor. And so she's done absolutely masses of research. And she was really interested in finding out what happens if you give children difficult challenges to solve. And she made sure she gave them really tricky stuff that's almost impossible to solve. And she said she was really surprised by the response. So what happened was the majority of children gave up because it got too hard, the things she was giving them to do. But some of the children would say things like, oh, I was really hoping you'd be giving me something challenging today. And she had another child say to her, where can I get some of these tricky puzzles from? Like they kept going, even though they couldn't do it, she'd given them something so hard to do. They really wanted to keep going and keep trying. Whereas the ones who were finding, the ones who gave up just thought, well, I can't do it, so there's no point. And so she grouped these different behaviors into two different kinds of mindsets. So she said that if you tend to think that we've all got innate fixed traits and fixed strengths and fixed talents, then that is called a fixed mindset. And if you have that kind of mindset, what will happen is you'll think that you should be really good at certain things quite naturally, that a lot of talent comes down, a lot of achievement just comes down to natural talent. And so if you find yourself in a situation where you think you should be doing well because you have got that talent and you don't, you see it as a crushing failure and can think, well, I'm never going to do that again or start really berating yourself and beating yourself up. And you can also put other people on pedestals, which I'm definitely guilty of having done throughout my life. So thinking, well, that person's just amazing. They're just so talented. I could never be like them. Whereas if you have a growth mindset, you're really embracing the concept of yet, the power of yet. If you can't do something, you just can't do it yet. You haven't had enough time to learn or practice or fail a bit and then get up and try 
and do it again. Actually, talent isn't fixed. <laughs> um, yes, we've all got some certain innate, uh, certain innate levels of talent, but in fact, most things we can get better at. Most skills are learnable, and the more you practice them, the better you're going to get. And so, of course, if you look at those two different groups, the people who have got their happier lives and are really successful are the ones who have got the growth mindset. So that, that concept really has, it sounds so cheesy, but it has changed my life. When I come up against setbacks and knockbacks or things don't go the way I think they're going to go, or I don't think I've done as well as I would have liked to, I just have to really remind myself, it, it just means yet, I just haven't got there yet. What What is the learning from this experience? What can I learn to go and have another go and see if it will go even better next time? Oh, that's bliss. You just you you put that in a, a nutshell really, really well. Um, because yeah, people people can really understand that. It's it's a thing. I mean, I've just literally just come back from the climbing wall and you couldn't apply it more. Mm -hmm. But what is so interesting is this learning to have a growth mindset because it, it, that that is the key, isn't it? Because you it's very I think it's quite natural to go into the I've I've done it I've I've done it in all sorts of things but I've definitely done it recently in climbing so it would be I can't do that route no I, that route's too no that's way above my thing no I can't do that so what but what I've learned to do is like I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not a saint. I don't, I don't, I sometimes say, I can't do it. This is really <laughs> annoying. But my general thing is I'm not looking at a new challenge thinking I have to get to the top and I have to do it in one go and I mustn't let Steve take me on the rope at any point and I've got to do it perfectly. I'm just thinking, well, let's see how far up I get. Let's just see. Oh my God. And now, I mean, I would hate to go to the climbing wall every time and just do the ones, the level at which I've got really confident in and know I can do. Um, because the, where's where's the excitement in that? And the same applied when I was acting. I would always want to, you know, push myself a little bit further. Um, the same applied in my marriages, actually. I'm very glad I had a growth mindset and thought, well, that's not the end. Let's give it another go. <laughs> So, so it hasn't worked yet would would be great and I, I just it's that's the thing isn't it so people talk when it comes to confidence they talk about um oh I'm just not a very confident person or oh I know oh, such and such like you just said you know we compare ourselves mm -hmm. oh they were just they're just not this is the expression they're just naturally confident mm -hmm. Let's just take a pause there. So that's not that's not really a thing, is it? No, I don't, I don't think it is really a thing because I have coached so many people to on the outside to the outside world. Everyone would think, oh my goodness, they are just the most accomplished, confident person you could possibly imagine. But I know from talking to them that actually on the inside, a lot of the time, that's not how they feel because they are a human. <laughs> And we are humans, not robots. We, we aren't these perfect beings that you can just program in <laughs> um, at all. We come with all these messy, complex emotions as well. Absolutely. And and I, I just think, yeah, I mean, I, I quite often make a thing about saying if I'm doing a talk or something and it's uh, informal, 
kind of thing. You know, I, I, I'd say to people, I say, look, you know, I may come across as this sort of, whoa, extrovert and oh, she's an actor and oh, she's this, you know, but I mean, I, I do get nervous. I do get nervous and I do sometimes think, oh gosh, this isn't going down well. And oh God, whatever, all of those things that we, as you say, because we're human, we go through. And the first time I ever, ever did a one-woman full-length play, which I had written, directed, devised, and organised the tour entirely myself about. I did have some directors work with me, but the first time I ever, this was years ago, I was waiting in the wings to do it for the first time. And I remember saying to myself, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this, okay? And I did that because I was flipping nervous, you know, and I was I was full of, oh, this could all go, I've got no one else that I can turn to. Once I step over that, onto that stage, that's it. I, if I fluff my lines and, you know, or whatever, whatever. So it was quite nerve-wracking, but I did it, got through it, it was okay. It was reasonably good, but it wasn't. It wasn't like like the best ever because I then went on to hone that skill mm. of doing one more, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There were time. This is the other thing: is blips. So, so there were, were moments in my the acting career I had where there were horrible blips, where I was at the wrong place, the wrong time, doing the wrong thing to the wrong audience or whatever, and you've got that horrible sense as an actor, you think, oh, they're, they're not getting this, this isn't working or whatever, or you got cast wrong or something and it just, so you get, so suddenly you go into a sort of spiral of perhaps I'm not actually as good as I thought I was at this, you know. Um, so does that happen a lot? So you get people who can be really quite buoyantly, you know, happy, skippy, confident, and then something, blips them into this sort of hole of self-doubt yeah I think it it often happens with transitions so that transition could be almost anything that's when I see it rearing its head the most so stepping up into a, a new role and that might happen within the company they're already working so maybe they've been promoted internally or they're moving to a brand new company where they don't know anybody or they're coming back to work after having had a baby or taking a break it's those transitions are often the point when those blips happen where often people around them are surprised because they think what are you talking about <laughs> what do you what do you mean you're a bit worried and a bit nervous you're brilliant at this and you've been, you've been doing it for years but it's just that sort of fear of the unknown so to compare it to your example there you know it's who's going to be in the audience well what about these new colleagues and or if you are still in the same company is everyone going to start looking at me in a different way and yeah so and, and oh, there's not a supporting cast propping me up anymore if they're suddenly going up into a management or leadership position. So I think the transitions is often when I see the blips happen, but also to draw on something else you described. And I have to say, first of all, I mean, Trisha, I'm just in complete awe <laughs> that you did a one woman show. It's just fantastic. It sounds terrifying to me. But when you talked about standing there waiting in the wings, feeling nervous, I know that's a feeling that a lot of performers describe and again with coaching clients it's what people often describe before they're about to present especially and what I think is really interesting about that is we can think oh my gosh there's something terribly wrong 
I feel awful. I think I'm actually shaking. I mean, Trisha, when I used to have to speak in front of people, I would physically shake to the point where I actually thought my legs were shaking so much they're going to just give way and I'll just be having to do the talk collapsed on the floor in front of everyone. It was just awful. And what I've learned fairly recently is the reason that's happening is because your fight or flight, <laughs> um, oh, what's the word? Instinct is kicking in because unfortunately our our brains, part of them, are still very, very primitive and they are on high alert. Must protect my owner, must protect the body and the person that I'm sitting within. So they're designed like that because of hundreds, if not thousands of years ago, when we needed to be able to run away very quickly from danger if a saber-toothed tiger suddenly leapt out at us. But the problem with our brain, with that part of our brain, is it cannot tell the difference between a real threat. So if there's a real tiger in front of us where we really do need to run away or stand very still so they can't see that we're there, or it's a perceived threat. So they think standing in front of the audience, right, okay, don't worry, human body, uh, the brain will take care of this. What I'll start doing is flooding your body with adrenaline and cortisol. And the reason I'm doing that is to make sure that all of the blood is flowing to your muscles. So you're going to suddenly feel really, really strong and you can run away quickly if you need to. And I'm going to actually make your throat close up so your voice goes creaky and squeaky because gotta make sure nothing dangerous is about to go down your windpipe. And so when you're about to stand up and talk to people and you suddenly feel yourself physically shaking, your hands going clammy, uh, you feel like you can't speak, you think that is something terribly wrong. <laughs> I clearly shouldn't be doing this. This is a terrible idea. But I think actually learning that this is a normal physical reaction, your brain and your body are actually trying to help you. Like some of the things it's doing feels really uncomfortable, but they're actually quite good. If you weren't getting all hyped up like that, you're less likely to be as on the ball and on it. Even your pupils often dilate so they can take in more information. You are primed and ready for action. And so for professional athletes, they often, coaches teach them, when you start to experience that feeling, just say to yourself, this is my body getting me ready to excel. This is me getting really excited because actually the the border between excitement and fear, it's a very, very fine edge. So I think once you know that information, even though in the moment it can still feel scary and like, oh, I haven't got any confidence, but you can start to talk yourself down and recognize everything's gonna be all right. I love this. This is also something I bang on about a lot and I love the way you described it. It was perfect. There's a book by, here we go, another doctor, Dr. Lisa Feldman called How Emotions Are Made. And it was the first time I really, I mean, I've done quite a lot of study about the brain because uh, I used to work with people who had dementia. And I got really fascinated about our brains because they are utterly fascinating. But it was the first time I really grasped exactly what you've just said. This, It's like our brain is just in a dark skull you know with a tiny amount of outlets through sort of ears and eye holes and just you know 
it. We we I think we sort of imbue it with these magical qualities where it knows uh, English language, it knows exactly our feelings, our philosophies, our existential thoughts about life. It doesn't. It's just basically picking up signals um, mm. and translating them exactly like you just described, and and needing to go for a wee as well is is emptying your bladder so you can run faster and. You're so, because obviously, yeah, you, you've described that so well. And what, what I think is the real n- nugget in there is what you said about when you figure this out, when you really just take these these little bits of science or fact or whatever on, it it's the first step, really, because you're now not in a mush of oh, does it like exactly like you said? Does it mean there's something wrong with me? What's, oh, I'll never be any good at this. All of that. Um, you don't need to do that now. You need to. That's why I use this word forensics, and I keep going on about it. But there's a. It wasn't just a clever thing because of my detective thing and all that. It's. It was. It was me visualizing, taking all these psychology things, communication skills, confidence, all of these, and putting them on the table and just like sort of picking them apart. And this is exactly what you just did by describing that nice little bit of sciencey stuff, really. Um, and so, yeah, this, oh, God, I knew this would happen. This is such a fascinating topic. Right. Okay. To keep this nice and uh, succinct. <clears throat> something I'm not known for. Um, Faye, I want from you a myth buster when it comes to confidence and just one kind of practical, practical, practical tip that the listeners can, can either kind of do as an exercise or actually literally go out and try experiment with whatever, but something around this topic. Go for it. Let's have the let's have the practical tip first and then the myth buster. Oh, good. That's the easier way around. <laughs> so I was just thinking, oh, I don't know if I've covered all the things I would describe as being myth buster. Yeah, well, I don't know. You probably covered everything anyway, but let's just wrap it up. Let, let's see if I can think of something. So perhaps, oh gosh, Trisha, so many practical tips I could share. Um, okay, I'll start off with it might I don't know, this may seem very simple and very obvious, but I think it's still worth saying and that is the power of small steps so if I think back to one of my very first coaching sessions with someone who came to me about confidence when we kind of got down to the crux of the matter the thing she felt that she lacked confidence in was speaking up in meetings so she was sitting in these very formal quite packed rooms with lots of other people who were the same level and also much more senior than her and she said I just say nothing. I just sit there and I'm so nervous. And the, and every week I think I'm going to say something and I never do. And I, I just have to do something about this. So I think that where we can go wrong is if we think, okay, we have to go from not being able to say a word in a meeting to suddenly chairing the whole thing and dazzling everyone with our witty insights and clever asides. When actually what we worked on for her was, okay, so what is a first step What's a little tiny thing you can do that's going to help you feel more confident? 
And she really thought about it. And she said, do you know what, Faye, if I think about how I'm sitting in the meeting, I'm on my chair that's on wheels and I actually push myself back a little bit. So I'm not even sat right up against the desk and I cross my legs and I hold my notebook on my lap and I sit like that for the whole meeting. She said, do you know what I'm going to try and do? I'm going to make sure I'm actually sitting with my chair pushed in at the table and I'm going to put the notebook and pen on the table in front of me. So this may sound like the most inconsequential, tiny thing. It made a huge difference. It made a huge difference. She said that she just felt physically her presence conveyed more confidence and it showed that she seemed more active and engaged and more ready to speak for when she was ready to. And then we were able to work on her in the, you know, work on it in the next couple of sessions as well until she got to the point where she was actually speaking up and she was contributing. So I think probably my practical tip is to think, okay, once you've identified what is it you want to feel more confident about, don't worry about putting yourself under huge pressure to suddenly be brilliant at this. What is one tiny, tiny step you can take that's going to impact your confidence? And then as you progress, just build one little step more, one little step more, one little step more, and then suddenly you'll find that actually you can do it and you feel far more confident than you ever thought you'd be able to. Oh, perfect. It doesn't sound uh, silly or inconsequential. It's, it's, it's huge. It's huge. I didn't, I didn't do a one-woman play without having done a tiny little poem in elocution at school and thought, oh, I'm reasonably good at doing this. I was quite shy, blah, blah, blah. And then I did a thing with a, a group locally, Shakespeare thing, and I did crowd scenes. And, you know, then I got a slightly bigger part with a few words. Da, da, da. On we go. The years roll by. Amateur dramatics for years and years, working with better and better directors until I eventually sort of went professional and said blah 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 okay so massive amount of small steps and same with the climbing <laughs> literally literally oh my gosh this is it's huge it's absolutely huge and and it's it's a mistake we make a lot thinking yeah let's let's I've got to do the whole thing or it's not worthwhile and the body the body thing the messages you give yourself when you rearrange your body or smile or whatever oh it's that brain thing again it's the brain thing oh great um I think you've already busted some myths but just sort of pick one to end with I think the biggest confidence myth to bust is that you're born confident that you're either confident or you're not at all that's that is the biggest myth I could possibly bust because actually confidence comes through action it comes through trying. That's the only route to getting there. You're not going to suddenly wake up one day and be more confident about something. It's taking those little tiny steps is going to mean that you you do grow that confidence that you'd really like to have. Um, can't end on anything better than that. That is absolutely perfect. Uh, as I say, Toto, try, observe, try, observe. You know, it's all part of that. Uh, and and you use the word competence, which you know is a sort of quite crucial ingredient of confidence. It's not like the magic thing, because if you're doing confidence without any competence, you're basically like some people we know out there, um, but we don't want to be them. So um, 
Yes, I could name a few politicians probably who are um, walking that walk. So uh, before we go off on that tangent, I will wrap this up by asking you to share with the listeners the best way that they can um, plug into your wisdom even more. Well, it would be lovely if they want to come and listen to the podcast, especially your episode, Tricia, which I think was particularly fabulous. One of my favourite episodes, definitely. That was episode 91 and was all about how to be more assertive. And the podcast, I should probably mention again, is called HR Coffee Time. But if you want to find out anything else, my website is Bright Sky Career Coaching. And you can also find me on LinkedIn. I'm on there pretty regularly. I'd like to be on there even more, but I definitely check my messages all of the time. I normally aim to post on there about once a week. So you can find me on there as Faye Wallace. And that's F-A-Y and Wallace with an I-S on the end. I thought I'd better mention that because um, my name isn't spelt like people typically spell the name Faye. <laughs> That's no, that's good. Um, and I, yeah, we met on LinkedIn. So LinkedIn is, um, you know, well, LinkedIn, is, that's another episode. Right. So okay. <laughs> uh, it's been an absolute delight. Um, I can confidently say that the listeners will have gained much from this conversation. Want to know more about staying unsquashed? then head over to more resources at trishalewis.com forward slash stay hyphen unsquashed. And while you're there, sign up for the fortnightly email unsquashed. For now, until our next forensic investigation, stay curious and don't forget to show up to share.